You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26, and we're going to be attempting to answer the question, are you convinced God is against you? But before we take a look at that, I just wanted to share a couple quick things. First of all, if you haven't had the opportunity to visit our website in a while, we have a free devotional resource that we're giving out right now. Desire Jesus Volume 6 is a 30-day devotional that gears your mind and gears your heart toward focusing on Christ each and every day by looking at various scriptures, and it's available for free download right now at our website, DesireJesus.com. So just stop over there. Be sure to get it. Volume 7 will be out very soon, but right now as I'm recording this, Volume 6 is still available for free if you haven't had the chance to grab your copy. I also want to take a quick moment to thank those of you who have left our podcast a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. I read a very encouraging review the other day. It was nice to see. And when you leave a rating or a review for a podcast, whether it's ours or any other podcast that you listen to, it helps in a variety of ways because obviously it encourages whoever hosts the podcast. And I'll tell you, every podcast host, they read their reviews. (laughs) So whether you put something positive or negative, I guarantee you they will read it. Uh, But it also helps trigger the algorithm of whatever podcast system you're listening on, whether it's a particular app or something else, it triggers whatever one you're listening to it on to promote it more and to share it more. And more people end up seeing it and more people end up listening to it. So if you get the chance, if you've never done that for our podcast and you want to do us a quick favor, it's something that we would be very appreciative of. And again, I just want to thank those of you who have taken the time to do that already. It's greatly appreciated. It's very helpful. And uh, I don't I don't say thank you enough in regard to that, so I wanted to make mention of that today before we look at our Scripture. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're looking at Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26, and we're attempting to answer the question, are you convinced God is against you? Now, before we really dig into that, I have to say, uh, the past uh, few months here, as uh, I'm recording this, it's summer, it's still August. Uh, the past few months, my oldest children have been working at summer camp. I think I mentioned that in a previous episode. And I'm very proud of them. I'm very grateful that they took the time to work there during the course of this summer. Uh, it was a Christian summer camp up in the Poconos, the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference, in fact. If you if you're live in the region of Pennsylvania that we live in and want to check it out sometime, it's a great summer camp. They have a great program, and, and our family has been involved with that ministry for quite some time. And even though I was proud of my two oldest kids for working there this summer, I have to say that my wife and I genuinely missed them. It was a little bit sad for us to realize just how little we had the opportunity to see them over the past two months. And there's phrases that I've heard many times where they say things like, absence makes the heart grow fonder, or or sometimes I hear it say, distance can make the heart grow fonder. But it's true. And uh, the fact that they were several hours away and we couldn't see them very much during the course of the summer definitely caused us to appreciate them more. And it's interesting when you think about things like that, because I think there are a lot of people that, when you think about the idea of distance, I think there are a lot of people that think of God as if he's a distance from us. They think he's very far away. They think he's uninvolved or uninterested. And then there's some people who puff themselves up so much with their own pride or self-worship that they live as if they're pushing 
God away. And then there are times where it's almost as if they get mad at him because it doesn't seem like he's all that near to them, where they've spent all these years or all these days or all these months pushing him away, and then they become convinced that he is, instead of being for them, that he is against them. And so we kind of wrestle with that idea. Is God for us? Is God against us? What does the Scripture say? What does it actually reveal? Well, there's obviously people that that God opposes. Scripture tells us that, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. And when you look at what facilitates that or what precipitates that, you have people puffing themselves up with pride and animosity toward God. And then again, as I said just a moment ago, they live as if he's at a distance and sometimes even get mad because it feels like he's distant, where that's the kind of relationship that they've been cultivating with him all along. So if you would take your Bibles and look with me or just listen with me if you're riding in your car or doing some work, Uh, but I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 20, starting with verse 19, and this is what it states. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture today. And Lord, we pray that you give us your wisdom. We pray that you give us your understanding. We pray that you'd give us your guidance as we seek to be people who grow in our relationship with you. Lord, we want to walk with you daily. We want to live for your glory, and we want our lives to be poured out in such a way that you receive the honor that you deserve. And Lord, we know that as we read your word, that we can only ultimately understand it as you give us clarity and wisdom and open eyes and open hearts to be able to receive it. So we ask for that help from you now, and we thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Is God for us or against us? Have you ever wrestled with that question? Have you ever walked through a season of your life where it felt to you like you weren't really on God's radar? Maybe you felt overlooked or possibly even worked against. But as a whole, the message of Scripture clearly reveals that God is for us. We're reminded that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. We're shown that he continually pursues people, and he invites us to have restored fellowship with him. Scripture explains to us that the debt of our sin was so deep and offensive, it could only be paid for by God himself. So Jesus came to this earth and bore our sin, so our debt could ultimately be canceled. 
But we're also told multiple times in Scripture that God opposes the proud and that he gives grace to the humble. When you think of pride, pride is a form of self-worship. It's a form of self-glory. Pride reflects the heart and the intent of Satan, not the heart of Christ. Pride leads to stumbling and ultimately destruction. Jesus frequently encountered proud people who thought more of themselves than they thought of him. How did he deal with them? What can we learn from his encounters with them? Is Jesus for us or is he against us? Let's think about a few questions that I think are worth asking when we look at a portion of Scripture like this. The first one is this, do you hold your motives up to the light? Let me reread verses 19 and 20. It says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Now, when you look earlier in this chapter, preceding these verses, we're told that Jesus was teaching the gospel in the temple, but was interrupted by the religious leaders who questioned his authority. In his response to them, he shared a parable that illustrated that they weren't listening to the voice or direction of God. So God was about to remove them from their favored position and entrust the very things they idolized to others. And as Christ spoke this parable, he did so in such a way that they were able to catch on to the fact that he was speaking against them. The religious leaders, I think, felt provoked by Jesus. In fact, I think that's pretty well confirmed when you look at this portion of Scripture. I'm sure they also felt insulted. They were so troubled by what he said that they wanted to physically attack him, but they held back because they knew that this would not have been received favorably by most of the people. We're told that they elected to take another approach instead. They kept an eye on Jesus and sent insincere spies who would attempt to catch him saying something either incorrect or inaccurate or possibly even illegal. They had no intention of learning from him. Their hearts were hardened and were closed to that idea. All they wanted to do was to hurt him and stop him, and they were hoping that he might say something that could get him in trouble. This is a sad event to read about because Jesus was offering himself to all people as the only source of hope and help and salvation. Yet he was being rejected by those who should have been pointing others to him. Their motives were impure, and they were driven by hatred and a desire to receive glory instead of giving it. Your life and my life is being lived out each and every day motivated by something. What motivates you? Is it safe to hold your sources of motivation up to the light? And if you did so, what might you find? We all do things because we're motivated to do those things. Well, what ultimately is motivating you? 
I read something interesting that I thought I'd share with us today. Uh, it was related to a city in Netherlands. Now, I don't know which city this was specifically, but whichever city it was, it had uh, uh, some problems with litter. People were throwing trash around in such a way that it was starting to look rather bad in the city. And so you have local government looking at the problem, and they were trying to actually figure out how to motivate people to finally throw their trash away. So the sanitation department tried a few different things. One of the things they tried was doubling the litter fine, and they also tried increasing the number of litter agents who patrolled the area, but they realized it wasn't really cost-effective and it didn't seem to solve the problem. And then some creative person suggested that instead of punishing those who littered, they should actually try a different approach and reward people who put garbage in the trash cans. And they made a plan to create some kind of a trash can that could dispense coins, so to actually give people some money when trash was inserted into the trash can. And um, they looked into that, and they thought that was going to be a good idea. But then when they crunched the numbers, they discovered it wasn't going to be very cost-effective. It was actually going to be rather expensive. So they kind of went back to the drawing board. But they were inspired by that idea. In fact, it led to another idea. And the sanitation department actually developed a trash can that played a recording of a joke whenever trash was deposited. So you'd put your trash in, and it would play a recording of a joke. And different cans would play different kinds of jokes, and the recordings were changed every two weeks. And what they noticed uh, in their community was that people went out of their way to put garbage in the trash cans, and streets were clean once again. They finally found the right thing to motivate them. Now, for the believer in Jesus Christ, we're motivated by things as well. And the highest forms of motivation for believers are outlined in the Scriptures in a variety of ways. But there's a few things, and I'll just list some of the ways that we as believers are invited to be motivated to serve Christ. One source of motivation is the idea of giving Him glory. That's a chief reason we were created. So we should be motivated to give Christ glory. We're also motivated by showing him love. As recipients of the love of God, we're, we're motivated to uh, reciprocate that, to show him love in return. In a similar way, we're motivated by gratitude to him. Because he saved us, we're grateful, so we serve him in gratitude. We're also motivated by knowing that he blesses obedience and disciplines disobedience. And Scripture also tells us that the Lord will eventually grant rewards or remove rewards at his judgment seat. So these are sources of motivation that Scripture outlines for us as we follow Christ. And are those our motives? Are these the things that motivate the actions that we take in this world? Do you hold your motives up to the light of Scripture? Do you hold your motivations up to Christ's light? What's motivating you? So that's one of the things that I think this passage is encouraging us to really be thinking about by way of the examples that we're given here. I think another question that's worth asking is this, how quickly can you spot false devotion? Look at what it says in verses 21 and 22 of Luke chapter 20. It says, so they asked him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Let's pause there for just a second. 
Flattery is a tactic that is often used when someone has impure motives. And so when you look at this portion of Scripture, as some of these spies attempted to engage Jesus in conversation, they did so hoping that they could flatter him into trusting them. In this passage, we're told that they stated the exact opposite of what they actually believed. They honored him by calling him teacher. They stated that they believed that what he spoke and taught was right. They complimented him for showing no partiality. They testified that Jesus taught the way of God. But they didn't believe a word of this. Everything they were saying was an attempt to make it appear that they were his followers and that they were genuinely inquisitive and willing to be taught. The big question they tried to get Jesus to answer had to do with paying tribute or taxes. You see where this is going, right? They wanted to trap Jesus into stating something that would be an offense to the government authorities. One expedient way that's almost universally effective is to bring up the subject of paying taxes. I don't imagine that most people look forward to paying taxes. Uh, Frankly, if you want to hear me complain, just bring up the subject of taxes sometime. Uh, I realize they're necessary, but I wouldn't mind if they were lessened and maybe even used a little bit differently than they're often used. So when Jesus was asked if it was lawful for them to pay taxes to Caesar or not, there was a motive behind that question. This certainly would have been a hot topic of discussion at the time. The people of Israel were not crazy about their land being occupied by the Roman government. They were zealous people who repeatedly attempted to overthrow the governmental authorities in their land, and many of the people dreamed of the days when their land was once ruled by men like King David or King Solomon, and they wanted to go back to those kinds of days, but they resented being forced to pay taxes to the Roman government. They also knew they were frequently being overcharged so that the tax collectors could collect a hefty profit for themselves. People definitely would have wanted to hear what Jesus was going to say about this, but Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He could spot their false devotion a mile away. It wasn't a mystery or a surprise for him to perceive that this was a trick. In some ways, this was reminiscent of the duplicitous way Satan spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. He sounded innocent and smooth, but what he really wanted was their demise. And that's the way these spies were speaking to Jesus. They really wanted him to suffer. They really wanted him to be stopped, and their devotion was false. So it's the nature of our devotion Christ. I always say when I'm looking at a portion of Scripture like this or speaking on a portion of Scripture like this, it's much easier to look at, uh, you know, the lives of other people and some of the things that they said and did and kind of pick out some of the issues that are present in what they're doing or saying. But it's a little bit harder for us at times to be introspective and to ask ourselves important questions. And so I want us to ask ourselves the question related to the devotion that we have to Jesus Christ. What is the nature of our devotion to Christ? Is it a false devotion that's being acted upon in order to create some kind of an inaccurate impression? Or is it sincere and growing? Jesus invites us to be devoted followers of his, to consider his will superior to our own. From a personal standpoint, I can testify to the fact that my sense of peace and my sense of purpose in this world grew exponentially 
once I embrace the privilege of devoting my life to Christ. So what is the nature of our devotion to him? It's a question worth asking. One other question that I think that this scripture invites us to ask is this. What if Jesus doesn't give you the answer you expected? Look at what it says in verse 23 down to verse 26. It says this, But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Jesus was wise to the schemes of those who were working against him. He knew what they were up to. He wasn't deceived by their flattery or their cleverly crafted questions. So he replied to them in a manner that didn't give in to what they were trying to do. He purposely didn't give them the kind of answer they were seeking, but rather gave them the answer they needed. Every generation complains about the government to one degree or another, but biblically speaking, the government is one means the Lord uses to promote justice and to restrain sin. There will be no perfect government until Jesus is ruling and reigning on this earth. But in the meantime, we're called to show respect to government authorities out of reverence for the Lord. It's interesting when we read Romans chapter 13. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter at some point when you get a free moment. But let me just read the first verse to us because it says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's what it tells us in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. But humanity, by nature, is rebellious. It's easier for us to challenge authority than it is for us to submit to authority. But Christ calls us to be good citizens who remember to pray for our leaders. We're called to obey the law so long as the law doesn't conflict with our devotion to Christ. And even if we do choose to object because of an issue of conscience, we need to accept that there may be earthly consequences for that decision. A good book to read uh, related to this subject, if you're reading through the Scriptures, is the book of Daniel, because you see several men in that portion of Scripture who were believers in the Lord, and they were asked to do things by the government that were not appropriate for a believer in the Lord, and so they conscientiously objected, and they were willing to suffer the consequences, yet the Lord protected them in the midst of all they experienced. And they didn't know if he was going to protect them in the midst of all of that, but they entrusted themselves to the Lord and said, we can't violate our conscience. They were ready to experience whatever consequences might come from their decision. Now, when you look at the answer that Jesus gave these spies, it wasn't the answer they wanted to hear. They didn't want to hear this idea of giving unto Caesar what was Caesar's and giving unto the Lord what's the Lord's. They just wanted to cause trouble for Christ. But he gave them the answer they truly needed to hear in that moment. Have you ever had a similar experience in your walk with Christ? Have you ever made a request of him and then waited for an answer and maybe then received his answer but didn't like what he had to say? What are we to do in moments like that? What should we do? How should we respond? Do we trust him? Do we get angry with him? 
Do we walk by faith, or do we tell him, no, I'd rather walk by sight? Do we accept his plan as being perfect, or do we try and elevate our plan above his? These are all sorts of things that we we wrestle with when we ask the Lord questions, when we make requests of him, and when sometimes he gives us an answer that doesn't line up with what we actually expected. I read something recently about a Greek philosopher named Anaximenes, and he was somebody who accompanied Alexander the Great on his expedition against the Persians. And in the course of this expedition, Alexander's forces captured Lampsacus, which was the birthplace of Anaximenes. So anxious to save his native city, his hometown, from destruction, Anaximenes sought an audience with the king, and Alexander anticipated this. He knew that Anaximenes was probably going to ask him something related to this. And so Alexander said this. He said, I swear by the sticks, I will not grant your request. Anaximenes paused for a second when he heard Alexander say that, and he gave him a very calm and a very thoughtful reply, and he said, I merely wanted to ask you to destroy Lampsicus. And so, in doing that, he saved his native city. Wasn't the answer Alexander was expecting, but it was the right answer. It was a good one. It's interesting, we we really have two primary options when Jesus replies differently than we wished. We can lean in the direction of our rebellious hearts and do whatever we wanted to do in the first place, or we can yield ourselves to Christ as our ultimate authority. We can accept his verdict while trusting that his will for our lives is perfect. Given enough time, we always see that trusting him was the right choice. Are you convinced that God is against you? If you're part of his family through faith in Jesus Christ, he is not against you. He's for you. His answers may not always be what you expect, but in his grace and in his love, he delights to grant you what you truly need. And given enough time, we can always look back and see that the answers that the Lord gave were the right answers. He could see long-term. He can see what will ultimately be for his glory and for our benefit. We need to trust him to stretch us at times. We need to trust him to guide us and direct us when things seem a little bit blurry at whatever season of life we might be at. For those who are in Christ Jesus, God is not distant. He's right here with us, guiding and directing the steps that our lives take. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to look at your word today, and we thank you for the encouragement that you give to us from it. We pray, Lord, that, again, we would be men and women who know you, love you, and trust you, that we would be people who put you first, and that when you decree something or when you give us an answer after we're praying to you, and the answer that we seek is not the answer that we get, but you give us something different, we pray, Lord, that when our, our faith in you gets tested in moments like that, that we would come through on the other side recognizing that your will is perfect and that we can trust you in all matters and in all circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness toward us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence with us today. We commit ourselves to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. If you're a regular listener and you'd like to help us with the cost of hosting and production, there's a quick and easy way that you'll be able to do that. We have a link for our crowdfunding right at the top of our podcast page on our website, and that's desirejesus.com slash podcasts, and you can see our crowdfunding link. And if you feel like ever chipping in a dollar or two toward our hosting and production, we're always grateful for any assistance or help that you might be willing to give to us. And if you do visit our website, be sure to grab a free copy of Desire Jesus, Volume 6. Again, our website, desirejesus.com. We hope you'll utilize the resources that we have there and that you'll stop by at some point. And send me an email sometime. Let me know if there's a way I could be praying for you, or if uh, you just want to let me know that you're out there listening. It's always encouraging to have the privilege to hear from you. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.